Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. If you'll uh, grab your Bibles and turn to, we're going to start in Acts chapter 19, uh, and then we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1. So find Acts 19. If you have your uh, scripture journals that we gave out, if you didn't get one, please raise your hand. We'd love to bring you one. Make sure you get one. Let me be clear on the one thing. The goal would not be to get one each week and have a whole collection that you can sell on eBay, but the goal would be to uh, man, have one that you could take notes in each week and keep together. It wasn't as funny as I thought. Thanks for that laugh behind me, though, Stephen. I appreciate it. So pity laughs are my favorite laughs. So I guess I'm a dad and it works. So Acts chapter, uh, we're going to start in Acts 19 and we'll move to Ephesians is the plan. So uh, man, we want you to use these. I think this can be really helpful. Uh, I just tore mine, but I think it'd be really helpful man, as we go through this book. So uh, if you leave it, somebody asked if we could do cubbies and leave them here and... and um, that's a terrible question. We're not going to do that. So, uh, so let me, um, th- the plan is, I've said it a couple times, to go through the book of Ephesians, man, really take about 15 weeks to cover everything Paul had to say to the church in Ephesus. So I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 19, and we'll get here in a second, because um, Acts chapter 19 is, is like context or, or the cultural significance as to what was going on when Paul wrote this book, okay? So um, one of the challenges of Scripture very often is that we, we tend to pull out verses we like. I don't know if you've ever done this. And we tend to ignore the ones we don't. And going through a whole book together allows us to see the whole thing and not avoid anything. So it's really kind of the plan is that, is that we would go through the whole thing and not avoid something because we don't like the way it sounds, okay? Um, so, so let me pray one more time, and then we'll jump in. It'll be a quick prayer. God, we love you, and we just pray that your word would speak. God, and it wouldn't be me. God, would you draw us to you? God, we need you and we love you. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you remember where you were, March 30th, year 2000, um, but I do. I grew up in church. Um, I grew up, man, I won this thing called sword drill or Bible drill multiple times. Went to states in Atlanta and lost to a girl who beat me and she won the medal, but that's okay. I'm just a little bitter, but, but, but man, I, I went to, I bet growing up, I went to 40 or 50 different weeks of vacation Bible school at four different churches every summer kind of thing. I grew up in youth and I went to every ski trip and every summer camp. I knew all the answers. I mean, I could answer them, but the reality of my life was, and I didn't know this was, I didn't know Jesus personally, but I knew all the answers. So I graduate from high school, one of the rare ones who stuck around, even though I wasn't a believer, although I really didn't know what was going on with my life. And I was asked um, the following spring of my freshman year of college if I would help uh, with the youth ministry, specifically with middle school boys, if I would just burn their energy. And I said, absolutely. So we, one weekend we did a, if you know this language, a Disciple Now weekend or a Spiritual Emphasis Youth weekend. And during this weekend... Um, I was supposed to help lead Bible study for these middle school boys, sixth and seventh grade boys, which I did as a lost person, which is kind of backwards. And so on Saturday night, they had a big city-wide rally where 20 or 30 youth groups uh, all came to one large church. We worshiped together. Great event. 
Well, that Saturday night, I showed up with my middle school boys. We walked in, and I'll never forget, man, just I sat in the seat and had some friends around me. Band started playing, nothing really different going on. Guy gets up and speaks, and about halfway through the sermon, man, it wasn't anything he said. It wasn't anything I heard. I just felt in a moment, and the best I can recall 20 or something years later, man, just the Lord saving me in my seat, the Lord making it very clear that I'm a sinner, but that he had died on the cross for me, and that I didn't know him. And not only that, but in that moment, feeling called also to preach the gospel. And so that, that night, what I, what I came to the conclusion of later is that actually when I became a Christian, I actually got saved or placed faith in Christ. That, that all really to that point, I just kind of been real religious trying to figure it out, but there was no personal faith in my life. Well, what followed and what I want to get to is the following Monday, I remember um, after that weekend, I was, um, I think people called it, uh, and we shouldn't use this language anymore, I don't think, but on fire for the Lord is what people told me I was. And so um, that Monday, I remember sitting at the kitchen table, and I was trying to read the Bible really for the first time. I had this little blue King James Bible that I'd got given when I was seven, when I got baptized, because um, again, I did it backwards, and I was trying to read it. I don't think I'd ever opened it before. And I started in Matthew 10, because that was, or I started in Matthew, the, the gospel of Matthew. And I remember reading the first couple of chapters and going, this is not what I expected. If you know what Matthew's about, the first couple chapters are just names. And so, so I didn't really get a lot of that, and I kept going. And finally, I got to chapter 10, and I remember reading several things in chapter 10. It was as if, it was as if the word of God came alive to me for the first time. I just, it was, I mean, I didn't hear God speak to me, but it, but it almost felt like that or that close. I can remember sitting there and reading the verse, Matthew 10, 19, that says, even as you're standing there, I will give you the words to say. And I remember reading verses 26 through 33, who says, when Jesus says to the disciples, now I'm going to send you out. And when I send you out, don't have fear. And then I remember reading the last part of Matthew 10, where it says, when I send you, or when I came, people think I came to bring peace, but I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And I'm going to divide father against son and mother against daughter. And he gave this, this difficult call of discipleship. And I can remember reading all three of those things and just feeling like the Lord was speaking to my heart. It was, it was as if the words of God in Scripture just came alive to me. It, almost as if I heard them men loudly. And this is my hope and prayer that as we study Ephesians together over the coming months, that the words in this gospel-rich book would come to life. Now, let me give you some context to this. So uh, Acts chapter 19, I want to cover 20 verses, um, and I want to do it relatively quickly. But I want you to see what's going on, because Acts chapter 19 gives us the what is going on when Paul sends the letters to the church uh, at Ephesus. So verse 1 of Acts 19 says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Ephesians, where we get Ephesians, right? Um. And there he found some disciples. Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. They're referring to John the Baptist who came preaching a baptism of repentance, verse 4 tells us. And on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, verse 5. And verse 6, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Verse 8, and he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So Paul shows up on the scene and he brings the gospel to Ephesus for the first time. This is the first time it's going to make it to Ephesus. That's what these these letters are going to be about. And he shows up and he's starting to teach. This is what it's about. He's starting to try to teach people who have never heard the gospel, the gospel. 
And some, we see in verse, back in verse 7, some actually respond to the gospel, get saved. Verse 9. Excuse me, verse, yeah, verse 9. But when some, so after three months, some became, it says three things, stubborn, some continued in unbelief, some even began speaking evil of the way. Now it says capital W might, might, it might also be in your Bible. That, that's what they called the church early on. And so they started speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So what did Paul do? Paul didn't defend himself. Paul didn't take to arguing back. It says he withdrew from them and he took his disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Verse 10, and this continued for two years. And this is really important. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. One of the things you see over and over in Acts is the gospel moving from one continent to another. Here you see it moving to, to a different continent. That, that, that God's going to use Paul to bring the gospel to a different continent and how he's going to do it. This is what is happening. It's going to come to a continent and a culture in Ephesus that is corrupt. And we'll get into this later, but man, it is dark. It is heavy with like, with like black magic, voodoo kind of worshiping those kinds of idols. This is the culture they're in. We'll talk more about it. And then this thing happens in the next couple of verses. That's this kind of startling. Verse 11 says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. Listen to how this extraordinary this is. Verse 12 says, those that even the handkerchiefs, now you know what you use a handkerchief for. Are we, are we clear? We good? Do we need to do that? Are we good? You blow your nose. Okay. Just so we're clear. Okay. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So Paul is, is so full of the Holy Spirit that even the things, the fabrics that he touches is used later to bring about God-glorifying healing and other things. So people start to figure that out. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So just think like demon worshipers. I mean, this is, this is not a God-centered thing at all. Undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. So they're saying, in the name of Jesus who this guy Paul we know talks about, performed this miracle. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And then look at verse 15. This is worth underlining. And so they try to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul. And then this, this, this evil spirit responds and he says this, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. Who are you? Verse 16, a little bit of humor to it. And the man in whom had the evil spirit leapt on them. Remember, there's seven of them and one of the guy. Mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. But you get this verse 15 where, where this, this evil spirit says, hey, I know who Jesus is and I've heard of Paul. I don't know who you are. You are, no one, you don't matter to me. Verse 17, and this became known to all Again, there we are again, all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or honored. Verse 18, and many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Some translations say their sins. So they're, coming, they're starting to repent of their sin. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts, which was just like the culture, brought their books together. And burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, the books, and found that it was 50,000 pieces of silver, which is quite a lot. Then verse 20, 
man, it's kind of the big part of all this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so what I want you to see is Paul shows up in Ephesus where they have not, they do not have the gospel and they're being overtaken by idols. And, and what this refers to is like black magic and evil spirits. This is the showdown of Ephesians, the entire book. This is the showdown of what's about to happen. And, and something unbelievable happens. Verse 15, Jesus, I know Paul, I recognize who are you? And then it says in verse 20, at the end of all this, people honor Jesus because of what they see and witness. They confess and repent, and the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. One of the things this tells us is the gospel's progress is unstoppable. Jesus is honored and acknowledged as Lord. Verse 16. Confession of belief and faith in Jesus begins to occur in the next couple of verses. Repentance and rejection of evil begins to take place. And the word of the Lord as a result increases and prevails mightily. The word of the Lord begins to overwhelm the darkness that's in that culture. This can be described, I think, very well this way as a holy disturbance. Paul shows up and wrecks everything, man, because of the spirit of God is with them. You've got a very dark culture doing their own thing. The gospel shows up and there is a, and this is what I have in my notes, a good way to write it down. A holy disturbance takes place. A culture that's completely ruled by darkness gets presented with the gospel and it causes a clash. It shakes everything up. When God shows up, man, and shakes everything up for his glory. This is what we're talking about, a holy disturbance. God sovereignly shakes these things up, leading to his word and his salvation increasing and prevailing mightily. We see in these first 20 verses a holy disturbance. It used to be this, then Jesus shows up, people start hearing the gospel, and now it's completely different. So here's what I'd love to just encourage you with, and the first thing you want to write in your journal is number one, I I just really believe that we, like individually, I, you, you can write down your first name, however you want to say it, need a holy disturbance. We need God to, to interrupt and shake things up in a new way. Oftentimes when we we find ourselves kind of like spiritually empty or spiritually dead or far from the Lord, whatever phrase you want to use, we tend to go, I need a new Bible study. I need a new journal. I need to listen to a different sermon. I need to do, maybe stop sinning. I'm going to be a good person. And I don't think those, I mean, those things are great and can be good, but more importantly, we need the Lord man to show up and shake things up on his own for his glory in the middle of the ordinary and the mundane for God to show up. Man, I told you my story is I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming and God shows up. We need God to show up in our lives personally and shake things up. So here's the question I have for you. Where do you need a holy disturbance to take place in your life? What are you waiting for that you're not waiting for in the Lord? What sin has overtaken you that you just keep continuing to run with that the Lord needs to break through? And man, what, man, where are you wrestling just to have faith? Maybe, maybe you struggle with things like anxiety and depression and you need the Lord to intervene there. Maybe God's asked you or placed a specific calling on your life and you've just put it off. And where is that? The second thing I would say is, and you write this down, is our community needs a holy disturbance. And our community needs a holy disturbance, man, for God to awaken those who have lost, who are lost and spiritually dead to the gospel. Our neighbors, your neighbors at home, your coworkers, and the people that we interact with on a daily basis. So listen, that's the plan for Ephesians. Man, that, that Ephesians would start to grip our hearts and get, hold, get a hold of us. Man, and, and it would start to lead into our lives a holy disturbance. 
So in your journals, here's, here's kind of what I want to do. Uh, man, I just kind of want to give you three, three, I want to give you a couple things to write down that might be helpful as we kind of start all this. I think there are three words that are really helpful as we think about Ephesians that really are the theme of Ephesians. One word is reconciliation. You're going to see it all through Ephesians that we, you and I, have been reconciled to Christ because of what Christ has done. So reconciliation will be word number one. Number two, uh, peace. That through reconciliation, God brings peace. That God's plan to bring peace to a broken world is through the church and the church alone. And it's got to start with reconciliation. And then unity. That God wants to bring unity. But again, his plan is through the church because of those who have been reconciled. Here's what I'd love for you to do with these journals we're giving you. Number one, read along and take notes. Can I tell you, one of the greatest gifts of knowing God over time is writing down how, when, and where God speaks to you and what he brings you through. If you read the Old Testament ever, you'll see all these times where God's like, okay, I did that, now put a rock up to remember it. I did that, now build this altar to remember it. And he was always telling people to remember. One of the things you can do with these, these journals we're giving you is take notes, read along, and, and watch where God speaks and put a date beside it. The second thing I would say about the journals is memorize a passage. At some point, man, if you do this, God is going to lay a passage, a verse, maybe a whole chapter on your heart. Memorize it. Get scripture in your heart and watch God begin to form you in a different way. And then, and then the third thing, man, once a week, engage somebody with Ephesians. Once a week, engage somebody in our church community with Ephesians. Here's what God's teaching. This is really simple. Here's what God's teaching me, right? What is God teaching you? And do it with your kids. Do it with a neighbor. Do it with a coworker. Do it with somebody in the room. I mean, what is God teaching you? Ephesians is a manifesto for the church. It describes the church's essence and identity. It tells us who the church is, how it came about, how it must conduct itself, and what the mission of the church is. The church is it's God's plan to bring reconciliation, peace, and unity to a broken world. And the letters from Ephesians lay out God's grand vision for reconciliation, peace, and unity in Christ. That when humanity is reconciled to God and one another through varying backgrounds, man, God does incredible things. So let's look at man, verse 1 and 2, Just and we'll kind of plow through. So it says, Paul, an apostle. Now that word apostle means one who is sent just in case you ever wondered that, okay? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is the opening of Ephesians. Ephesians is a, is a series of letters written by Paul to the church in a location called Ephesus. Today, Ephesus would be known as Turkey. And this is important because we can actually read in Acts 19 as we did and we'll continue to what went on there. But here's what I want you to see. Every time we see Paul's name, we should pause and remember who he was. Paul's, there's, a, there's an account in Acts chapter 5 when they were stoning Stephen to death, or Acts chapter 6, that it says Paul stands there and holds the coats while the men do it and gives approval over the stoning of the martyr Stephen. This is Paul's legacy. Here we have a man in Paul who formerly would have been compared to a terrorist and is now writing the New Testament. This would be akin to a terrorist coming and getting saved and becoming our pastor. We would go, um, Really? Paul hated the church. Paul murdered Christians. And he hated Jesus. The very name of Paul should stir a reminder into what was and what God has done. Acts 9 is Paul's great story of, of reconciliation. And you, man, you can write that down and read it on your own time. But, but here, here's the thing it also should do. That if we are to recall who Paul was, we should also be able to recall who we were before Christ. 
See, I've been saved like Paul. I've been reconciled to Christ, not because of what I've done or what I've earned or the words I've used, but because of what Jesus did. Being saved, becoming a Christian means I have been reconciled to God because of what Christ did, period. That's all. And it's so important to remember, no one is born a Christian. No one inherits the faith of their family or their parents. It is a personal thing that every person must place faith in Christ. And so Paul opens the letter by celebrating a self that has been liberated by God. I, Paul, or Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Man, you could even do this on your own. You could say, Josh, an apostle of Christ Jesus, because in a lot of ways, it makes a lot of sense as well. And I was Paul. I was lost. Christ redeemed me. I've been sent to refuge of Christ Jesus, right? And Paul's celebration should be ours. In Christ, every one of us has been delivered from self and has been given a position of purpose and authority in him. And if we begin to see what we see, here's, we begin to see that it's not really what Paul's saying is it's not about me. This is a whole, saying Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, is a whole other way of just saying it's not about me. None of this is about me. None of this is for me. I'm just here to be obedient. I am just here to be, be, be here and, and be faithful, excuse me. And really what it gives us is it gives us joy and it's liberating to know it's not about us and it doesn't rest on us. This is how we should approach this book. Not looking, man, for what we can get out of it, but if we're looking at it for how is it going to make much of Jesus in everyday life. And so Paul starts off by celebrating himself, but don't hear that the way our world would hear that. He's celebrating a life that has been liberated by Jesus. Celebrating a life that is no longer about himself. It's not his desires. It's not his wants. The goodness of God led Paul to a liberated life in Christ that now finds joy in denying himself. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, an apostle of Christ by the will of God. It's not about me. And that's awesome is what he's saying. We are liberated from self from making it all about us. How, man, can I just, man, I just, I think these are really important. I think it's helpful. When we think about, man, making it not all about us, denying ourselves. I, I think of three words, humility, humility. You know, humility is, is denying yourself, denying your passions, your desires, your time, your choice of restaurant later when you leave. Like, not you, somebody else, right? Man, I think of sacrifice. Man, growing weary of doing good. Um, I heard a pastor say one time, the greatest thing a Christian can do is go to bed exhausted, because it leaves little room to get in trouble. We should go to bed exhausted doing kingdom things. And then service. Man, I think, I, I, I heard somebody talk about this recently and it just really kind of, kind of got to me. And if I really want to serve, then I want to start walking into rooms and asking this question, how can I help? Not how can I be seen? Not how can I be seen as, but how can I help? I don't know about you, man, but I don't, I don't walk in the room with that. That's not the first thing on my heart. First thing is, I want to go see somebody I like, or I want to go have fun. Or, but no, God says, how can I? Man, man. And these are, these are phrases, these are words that help us to deny ourselves, to make it not about us. Our self has been liberated by the goodness of God, and in that we find contentment and joy. See, Paul's going to write a whole other book called Philippians, which we'll do at some point. We did it over the summer. And the, and the, the crazy part is saying he's saying, I am free, and in my freedom of not having the weight of results, there's joy. And then 1B says this. So he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And this is, really have to get this. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ. He says, to the saints. 
Now, it's really interesting because, ready? The Ephesus, the people in Ephesus weren't saints. They were horrible, worshiping black magic people. But he shows up and goes, hey, saints. And they're going, what? No one would have called them saints. They had not earned that. They were in Christ, but they still would have referred to themselves as saints. Being a saint in the word of God, like literally translated from the Old Testament, was to refer to the people of Israel. Remember that whole, let my people go? So to call somebody a saint was to call somebody a son or a daughter of God. So when Paul shows up and starts calling them saints, those who are saints, who are Jewish, are getting offended. And those who are starting to learn their saints are getting their socks blown off. Paul is calling these people who are not known as saints because they're not Jewish. He's saying, hey, you're part of God's family. You're a saint. The understanding to this point in the world before Christ is that if you were not Jewish and didn't follow all the rules, you could never nor would ever be loved by God or be called a saint. See, this is the reminder when we see saints that the gospel is inclusive. And the gospel is inclusive. It includes those that aren't born into it. It includes those that don't grow up in church. It includes those whose families didn't get them in. It includes those who can't earn it, who can't afford it. And the gospel is not exclusive. It is for all people. And this is when he's, when he's calling them saints. He's reminding everyone of this. Those who were not now are. This is adoption, isn't it? Those who are not now are. And then he says the saints in Ephesus. Man, Ephesus was not a Jewish city. And so, so really he is giving the title of saints to a people that would never have ever nor deserve to ever be called saints. Their saintliness though is, is nothing, is not something they can earn, but something that's bestowed upon them. And again, what is he saying? It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. Paul is celebrating the miracle of God's grace and calling them saints. We are saints by the mercy of God alone. Paul is offering to others and to you and I a brand new greeting from a better and different world. He's going to, he really saying two things in these, in this first verse, just really two things. Number one, a self, have you been liberated from God? And the band's going to come up in a second. We're going to play a song and, 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 and try to prepare to respond to this. But I just, I mean, I have a couple questions, man. Do you realize that yourself has been liberated from God? And do you realize that you are a saint by the mercy of God. Therefore, making it all about God, taking the pressure off, taking the effort off, and in place, worship and obedience. But I want to go back to conclude with this. We looked in Acts chapter 19 in verse 15. And we looked and there were three responses from that evil spirit. And it was, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And I, 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 would, I would leave you with that question this morning. And who are you? Are you found in Christ? Or are you found doing your own thing? Who are you? I'd like to pray with you now. If you would, man, pray with me and close your eyes. I, and and man, maybe, maybe you're here and you're going, I, I, don't, I don't have a personal faith. I've never responded to the gospel. Man, I'd love to help you do that this morning. And it's, it's, it's really on your part. It's pretty simple just to pray. God, would you save me? God, would you forgive me? And, and confessing Christ as Lord of your life. If you make that your prayer, I would just say, man, welcome to the family of God. You can pray that. Let us know if you're online, if you're in the room. Let me know later that you prayed that. But again, at the end of, in, in the middle of Acts, man, you get this, this evil spirit. Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And so the question for you is, are you found in Christ? And if you are found in Christ, how is that impacting your day to day? What is it 
impact or how is it impacting how you live and what you do with your life. So God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth, God, of your word. God, that we are recognized because of you. That we have been liberated from ourselves. We are called saints because of you. And God, as over the next several weeks, we just walk through this book of Ephesians and God, try to learn how you stepped in using Paul to a, to a dark culture, brought freedom and brought grace. God, would you do the same for us and help us to believe? God, would you draw us to you? God, we need you and we love you.